go ahead and get started. And if you don't mind, let's bow our heads and let's ask God to be with us as we open the Bible, as we're, as we're about to study together, uh, and pray for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your love and mercy. We thank you, Father, for not giving us what we deserve, but giving us what your dear son does. And Lord, as we are about to open our Bibles, as we're about to study your word, we ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the only effectual teacher of truth. And we ask for this gift in the name of Jesus, knowing that you can do abundantly above whatever we ask or think. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, my friends, let's open our Bibles. Let's study. We're going to go to Daniel, the eighth chapter. Now, before we go to Daniel 8, I do think it's my responsibility to review some of the things that we've already covered. So in Daniel chapter one, just just do a mental review. And what I do normally in class, when I'm teaching my class, I do something similar to this. I usually have what I call a brain exfoliation, meaning that I try to say as much as I can from memory and communicate the reality of what we've already covered. So Daniel 1, I'll say something like, okay, Daniel 1 was about Daniel and his three friends, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. These four men or young, or these young men were taken captive into, into Babylon. Now, the Bible says in chapter 1 that God gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand of King Nebuchadnezzar. So King Nebuchadnezzar didn't just wake up and then one day was just, you know, coming after, after these guys. God, in his own way, was giving judgment on Jerusalem. We saw that the king looked for young men that were spotless and that can stand before the king. And he ordered that these persons that were captive had a change in their education, had a change in their diet, and had a change in their name. This was the three-prong approach that was used to re-educate all the captives. And Daniel particularly purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Now, that word defile, we reviewed this before, but defile indicates a making of unclean, right? So he purposed in his heart that he would not make himself unclean. That word defile is connected with the sanctuary. The sanctuary itself was not to be unclean. So when Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself, this also emboldened him and God saw that he can trust him to be faithful. And therefore the Bible says that God brought Daniel and his friends into favor. And into favor being that when they requested uh, something of the powers that be, they were given more likeliness for it to be done because they grew in favor with God and man. Well, how do you grow in favor with God and man? That's keeping God's commandments. We looked at Proverbs. We looked at Luke, comparing it to the life of Christ. Then we also saw that Daniel decided to eat things grown from the ground. That was the word pulse. Comes uh, That's something that grew from the ground. Pulse to eat and water to drink. And he did this for 10 days probationary time. And God blessed him. And then he was like 10 times wiser, 10 times more intelligent. And it was able to stand before the king. And the king saw that these people were, were way more intelligent, way more faithful, way more, more beneficial to his company. And eventually, at, as you see the story go along, they're constantly being raised up in position of influence. So that was chapter one. That was chapter one. That was a synopsis. And then we said Daniel 2. 
that was when the king had a dream and he couldn't remember his dream for anything. He couldn't remember the dream itself. He couldn't remember the interpretation of a dream, let alone that, right? He calls in the wise men of his kingdom. They can't explain the dream. He's so frustrated and so convicted by what he dreamt, even though he couldn't remember it, he threatened to take the lives of these men. And by God's grace, the message got to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Daniel asked for more time. He goes back with his friends. He spends time in prayer. God, who owns the secrets of the universe, blesses Daniel. And Daniel sings a song praising the God of heaven that he was able to be faithful in his disposition, if you will, towards uh, faithful in his approach to God and, and faithful in his uh, loyalty to, to God and God being faithful to reveal to him the dream. So that was the first part of Daniel 2. Then Daniel 3, I mean, Daniel 2, second half, Daniel goes before the king and doesn't just come out and say, I have an interpretation. He actually challenges. He actually provokes. He says, hey, what about the wise men? Were they not able to interpret the dream? Why is he doing that? He wants, he wants Nebuchadnezzar to really get in his head. This ability, this revelation that's about to come about is purely from God himself, none other. Okay? So he's making sure it's clear and evident in his mind that this revelation is from God. Don't trust your own revelation. Don't trust your own understanding. Daniel was making sure all glory goes to the most high. All right, so that was that. That was Daniel chapter 2. Daniel 3. Daniel 3, they make an image. The image is all of gold. Nebuchadnezzar is so full of himself, he doesn't want the reality of what the dream meant to be to be manifest. Because he dreamt about the head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron, feet of iron and clay. He dreamt that. It was clear as day. God was in control of take, raising up kingdoms and taking them down. But this guy did not want that to be manifested. Nebuchadnezzar was so proud that he said, I am this head of gold. I'm the whole figure and I'm not going nowhere. My kingdom will last forever. And God, in his great wisdom, allows for Daniel somehow to have to be gone far away. But the three Hebrews were still there and they were faithful in the midst of that trial. And they were willing to die for their faithfulness to God. But God manifests himself in the person of who we consider, it said, the son of man walking in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. That son of man is none other than Jesus Christ. And Jesus is walking with his disciples in the midst of that furnace. Powerful. Praise God. And so that was Daniel 3, and got, and ultimately the king, of course, makes a decree. No one should make any, um, should, everyone should worship the true God, and anyone who doesn't is going to be dealt with, right? So that was Daniel 3. Daniel 4, what happens in Daniel 4? Very simple. Daniel 4, here comes the king having another dream. And in fact, the interesting part about Daniel 4 is that Daniel 4, the book is the book of Daniel, but the chapter is actually written by Nebuchadnezzar the king. That's so powerful. Nebuchadnezzar the king actually writes a chapter in the book of Daniel. And in this book, he recounts how the God of heaven ends up ultimately bringing conviction and conversion to him. That was Daniel 4. And he could not, again, interpret the, the vision that he had. And he calls in the wise men, just like the previous chapter. Daniel comes in. 
and wisely does not open his mouth, right? And the king, he could have easily said, you know what, king, you are arrogant, pompous, you know, no good, rotten scoundrel. But even in that, he was still very respectful to the king in chapter four and literally gives him warning. And later in that chapter, the king is, he knows the reality of what that vision meant, but still he just thinks to himself and begins to speak out loud. Is this not great Babylon, which I have built for my glory? And as the words are in his mouth, a voice comes from heaven and the man immediately becomes like an animal and begins to eat grass. And he does this for seven years till it's clear to his mind that the most high who rules in heaven rules in, in the affairs of men on planet Earth. And the king, again, gives this wonderful decree, wonderful declaration of the goodness of God, the power of God, the glory of God. And it's just a wonderful manifestation of God and his desire to save mankind. God will go to any extent necessary to save, which is a beautiful story. It's a beautiful reality. And it's something that we should not take, take lightly. Let me see something real quick here. Let me take this. All right. All right. So now just a tad bit further with this, Daniel 5. What happens in Daniel 5? I should be asking you guys that. Daniel 5, this the bloodless hand writing on the wall. Right? The hand writing on the wall. And there's a historical recounting that that Belshazzar's uh, mother, who was the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar, is reminding him that there is a man in 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 Babylon who can interpret the handwriting on the wall and he was not invited to that party that's what we review we're reviewing right now he was not invited to that party and ultimately what ends up happening is Daniel comes into the party the one that was not invited but when a crisis hits those who are walking with God are always going to be brought in to solve problems and he's brought in to interpret and he doesn't interpret right away what he ends up doing he ends up literally just communicating the history of what the father went through and provokes or rebukes, not provokes, but rebukes the king and tells him, you knew all this and you still did this. Behold, tonight, many, many take you farcing. Your kingdom has been weighed and the balances and you've been found wanting. It's been divided and given to the Medes and to the Persians. And that very night, here comes King Darius, King Cyrus, and they take the kingdom from Belshazzar, and Babylon falls. Belshazzar is, the again, the great, is the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. And the reason why he offered the third position in, in Babylon, because he was only the second ruler, whereas Nebuchadnezzar, I'm saying his name wrong, but... Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's son was still in power, and Belshazzar is the, is the second in command, and then he can only offer Daniel to position number three. But Daniel knew what's up, so Daniel said, nope, not dealing anything with that. So he lets him go, and he puts him, and the, and the God of heaven comes and takes him that very night. And Daniel literally succeeds through the kingdom of Babylon and goes into the kings of the Medes and the Persians. And in chapter six, what happens? Daniel is the president of the three. He's the top only under the king to, to now be in position of influence in a foreign nation. And can you imagine that, my friends? 
Daniel sees the rise of Babylon and the fall of Babylon. And in the fall of Babylon, he still maintains a high position in that transition. Why? Because the wisdom of Babylon superseded. It went before him and God had his hand on the transition of powers. He had his hand on the transition of powers. Okay, let's go a little bit further with this. So Daniel is thrown in the lion's den. Of course, these men are looking for opportunities to entrap Daniel, to, to get him to compromise his truth and compromise the truth of, of his loyalty to God. And they couldn't find anything in Daniel's life except in relationship to how Daniel worshipped and how Daniel engaged with his religion and with his God. And all these stories that we're reading have an implication on God's people here in these last days, because we're going to be challenged on every front, point blank, period. We're going to be challenged on every front. Do you truly believe what you say you believe? They're going to look at your search history. They're going to look at how you pay your taxes. They're going to look at the movies that you watch. They're going to look at where you go, because you're going to be causing such a problem by standing for what you say is true, they're going to say, you know what? Are you fake or are you real? And they're going to try to find something. And the only thing they could find with Daniel was in relationship to his God. So that was a powerful point that we reviewed or review, reviewing right now. And of course, Daniel's thrown in the lion's den. The king stays up all night, can't remit, can't sleep, looks for ways to, to, to get Daniel out, but he can't get him out. Next morning, what has happened? He goes Daniel, was your God able to keep you? And of course, Daniel speaks from the bottom of the lion's den. My God was able to keep me and he has sent his angel and has shut the lion's mouth. Man, we've covered so much ground, brothers and sisters. I mean, I'm, we're, I'm just reviewing from chapter one to chapter six thus far. And so what we've seen is God in every step with his children, he's with them in their crisis. He's with them in their trouble. This, the tests are always over worship. The, the challenge is the pride of men and the issues that are presently about to be presented to us are going to go from a story to a macro level, meaning or global universal level. So we looked at Daniel 7. And we began to look at the lion and the bear and the leopard and the dreadful and terrible beast and 10 horns and a little horn and then the judgment. And then we see judgment is given in favor of the saints and it just keeps going on and on and on and on. So today we're going to go to Daniel chapter eight. And please, if you have any questions of anything that we've covered already and then whatever we cover today, if you have any questions, I'm going to open the floor to give you the opportunity to say your question. So I will open up the panel so you can, so I can actually hear your voice and you can actually say what your question might be. So if you have one from anything that we've covered in the past to what we're about to cover right now, uh, feel free to ask the question at that time. All right, so we're in Daniel chapter eight. Buckle up. We're about to go snorkeling. Hmm. All right, we're gonna try to keep it as simple as possible. And... Remember now, from Daniel 7, Daniel 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, these books are written. Oh, in fact, if I let me show you something real quickly, just for information purposes. All right. Let me show you this. Mm. 
So maybe this. this, this, this. All right. So I'm going to show you something that's called the chiastic structure. The chiastic structure, meaning it simply means mountain, okay? Chiastic simply means mountain. So here, let me see. Okay, here we go. Hmm. All right, so for some reason the pencil's trying not to work. Okay, here it goes. All right, so it's not a pretty mountain, but it's going to work for now. <laughs> From the mountain, I'm going to put a little bit to the side. And this is Daniel 1. This is Daniel 7 through 12. Daniel 2. Then, hold on, Daniel 3, okay, actually, this should be 8 through 12, this is 8 through 12, this is Daniel, man, my handwriting is not good with this angle, okay, let me try again. Something. Let me try this again, brothers and sisters. Give me a moment. Okay. Let's clean this up. All right. So I want to draw, draw it here. All right. So here we go. Boom. Boom. Okay, so what we have here, we have Daniel chapter 8 through 12. And over here we have Daniel 1. Now first, let me just explain. Daniel 1 and Daniel 8 through 12 are written in the same language. In the same language. They're written in Hebrew. They're written in the Hebrew language. Daniel 2... And Daniel 7, Daniel 3, and Daniel 6, Daniel 4, okay, and Daniel 5. Now, I don't know if I've done this with you. All right, so like I said, Daniel 1 and Daniel 8 through 12 are all written in Hebrew. Daniel 2 through 7 are written in Aramaic, okay? Daniel 1 and Daniel 8 through 12 are written in Hebrew, and Daniel 2 through Daniel 7 are written in Aramaic. Now, why is that? Pay attention. So if you remember, Daniel said in Daniel chapter 1 that he would not defile himself. 
And Daniel 8 through 12, we haven't gone through it thoroughly yet, but I'm going to use the word defile as the key word as well, because you're going to see in a moment that the, until it talks about the casting down of the sanctuary and there's sin spoken about in Daniel chapter 9. There's this constant reminder of the defilement of Israel, okay? In Daniel 2, I'm going to use the word succession. We have succession of kingdoms. In Daniel 7, we have succession of kingdoms. What do, we, what do, what do I mean? Well, there's the head of gold in Daniel chapter 2. There's the lion in Daniel chapter 7. So they go together. There's the chestnuts of, of, of silver. There's the bear raised up on one side in Daniel chapter 7. So each of the kingdoms parallel each other, and these are succession. They come one after the other, a succession of kingdom. In Daniel chapter 3, the three Hebrew boys are thrown in the midst of a burning fiery furnace because they would not worship the golden image. So the key issue in chapter 3 is worship. The key issue in chapter 6 is worship. The king makes a law and, he, and they say you can't worship anyone else but the king for 30 days. So the issue is worship. In Daniel chapter 4, what happens in Daniel 4? The king is literally made like an animal because of the pride in his heart, right? So Babylon falls because of pride. So Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. He has a fall because of pride. In Daniel chapter 5, Belshazzar, who is his grandson, has a similar pride issue. And because of pride, the kingdom falls. Okay? This is a simple, very, very simple way to outline the book of Daniel. So Daniel 1, there's defilement. In Daniel 8 through 12, the issue is defilement. In Daniel 2, it's succession of kingdoms. In Daniel 7, succession of kingdoms. Daniel 3, the issue is worship. Daniel 6, the issue is worship. Daniel 4, the issue is pride. Daniel 5, the issue is pride. So you have this, this parallel, if you will, or chiasm, and you'll see that the main issue with Babylon is right there at the top. It's a pride issue. It's a pride issue. That's the key problem with Babylon. You can almost put the I'll see you nine right there. <laughs> right? That's the, key that's the key problem with Babylon. It has an eye problem. It is a pride issue. Now, going back to Daniel 1 and Daniel 8 through 12, they're written in Hebrew. Why are they written in Hebrew? Uniquely, they are written in Hebrew to get somebody's attention. Like if you're Hebrew and you know how to read the languages, you're like, wait a second. Why is that in Hebrew? Because now it becomes more intense and more instructive, especially the prophetic application of, of, these, of this chapter that we're about to delve into in Daniel chapter 8. Okay? So just pay close attention because we're about to to head into a space that few have fully understood, okay? I'm about to head into a space that few have truly got their minds wrapped around. All right. So with that, open your Bibles to Daniel 8. Let's get ready to dig. Daniel 8, and we're looking at verse number 1. Daniel 8. Verse 1. And let's read this together. Daniel chapter 8 
and we're looking at verse number one. Notice what the Bible says. It says, in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared unto me, even unto Daniel, after that which I which appeared unto me at the first. Okay, watch carefully. And I saw in a vision, and it came to pass when I saw it, that I was at Shushan in the place which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in a vision, and I was by the river Uli. Then I lifted up mine eyes and saw, and behold, there stood before the river a ram which had two horns, and the two horns were high, but the one was higher than the other, and the higher came up last. Now, again, comparing Daniel 8 to Daniel chapter 7, in Daniel chapter 7, we had a bear that was raised up on one side, right? It was, ra it was raised up on one side. So the bear in Daniel chapter 7 and this ram that's raised up on one side, they are parallel. They are the same power. In fact, what I'm going, what we're going to find interesting is that the angel in Daniel 8 actually interprets what this creature is in Daniel chapter 8. Okay, so watch carefully. And again, all we're doing, we're going to let the text speak for itself. I don't want to, we don't want to be fancy, I'm not trying to have a ooh ah moment, not. We're just trying to let the text speak because this chapter is probably one of the most important chapters that you can study in all of the Bible. So here it is. It says, verse three, then I lifted up my eyes and saw and behold, there stood before the river a ram, which had two horns and the two horns were high. But the one was higher than the other and the higher came up last. I saw the ram pushing westward northward and southward so that no beast might stand before him neither was there any that could deliver out of his hand but he did according to his will and became great i want you to if you have your bible or you're taking note please note the part where it just said so that no beast could stand before him neither was there any that could deliver knows the phrase Deliver out of his hand. Note that. Also note, but he did according to his will and became great. The part right there where it says became great, note that as well. So none can deliver out of his hand. Second part, and he became great. Verse 5. And as I was considering, behold, a, an he-goat came from the west on the face of the whole earth. So notice that the he-goat comes from the west. The he-goat comes from the west and touched not the ground. And the he-goat had a notable horn between his eyes. And he came to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing before the river. And I ran unto him in the fury of his, and, and, and ran, I'm sorry, and ran unto him in the fury of his power. And I saw him come close unto the ram, and he was moved with choler against him, choler meaning anger, and smote the ram, and brake his two horns, and there was no power in the ram to stand before him. But he cast him down to the ground, and stamped upon him, and there was none that could deliver the ram 
out of his hand. Please note that. Okay. So none could deliver anyone out of his hand. Verse 8. Therefore, the he goat waxed. Notice the phrase. How did he wax? Very great. So let's do a little comparison watching the text. So the text just told us in verse 4 that the ram pushed westward. The ram pushed westward, northward, and southward. Tell me. If, an, if, the, if the ram is pushing west, north, and south, where is he coming from? Go ahead and type in, type in the answer. Someone type in the answer. If the ram is pushing west, north, and south, which direction is the ram coming from? Go ahead and type it in. I'll wait for your answer. He's pushing west, north, and south. That's right. He's coming from the east. It's coming from the east. So keep that in mind. It's pushing west, north, and south. It's coming from the east. So historically speaking, or prophetically speaking, I'm looking for a kingdom that comes from the east. And notice that the he-goat comes from the west. That's what it said right there in verse number five. And as I was considering, behold, an he-goat came from the west upon the face of the whole earth. So now you have two powers coming towards each other. And the one coming from the east, nobody can come out of his hand, and he's beating everyone until someone comes from the west. And when this power comes from the west, this one from the east can't stand up against the one from the west. So notice what the Bible says again, paying close attention. Verse number eight. Therefore the Hugo waxed very great. And when he was strong, the great horn was broken. So at the apex of his power, the horn is broken. Okay? It's broken. Then it says, and it, and for it came up four notable ones toward the four winds of heaven. Verse 9. And out of one of them, now so the question is, what, what, what is the them out of one of them? Is it out of the four winds or is it out of the four notable horns? Now, my friends, I try not to get into any strange or difficult debates. However, it's very simple. The four notable horns, when we'll get to, we'll get to the interpretation in a moment, but the four notable horns were from the four different quarters of the winds. So they all came from four different areas. So north, south, east, west is the four directions. So out of one of them, out of one of those kingdoms, out of one of those areas, this little horn power presents itself. It begins to dominate. Okay. It begins to take over a region or a nation. Now, verse number nine. And out of one of them came forth a little horn, which waxed exceeding great. You guys see that? So with the ram, it was great. With the he goat, it was very great. With the little horn in this, in chapter nine, it's exceeding great. Or yes, it's exceeding great. Did you guys see the progression? It's progressively becoming more intense, progressively becoming more powerful. Notice again what it says in verse nine, and out of one of them, came forth a little horn, which waxed exceeding great toward the south and toward the east and toward the pleasant land. 
and it waxed great even to the host of heaven. And it cast down some of the hosts under the stars to the ground and stamped upon them. And yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the hosts. And by him, the daily was taken away. And the place of his sanctuary was cast down. And an host was given him against the daily by reason of transgression. Mm -mm -mm. And it cast down the truth to the ground. And it practiced and prospered. All right. So now the description is very simple. It went from dealing with the he goat and the ram. It went from dealing with that to the horn. And the horn wars against the host. And then it wars against the prince of the host. So it's warring against people. Then it goes per um, perpendicular towards uh, fighting God himself because it's also the prince of the host. And we'll, we'll identify that in a moment. And in this fighting, this fighting takes place, and there's a reason, because it says by verse 12, and a host was given him against the daily by reason of transgression. And it cast down the truth to the ground, and it practiced and prospered. Then verse 13 and 14. And again, we're just reading right now. When we begin to make the application, brothers and sisters, you're going to want to truly pay close attention. Verse 13 says, Then I heard... Then I heard one saint speaking, and another saint said unto that certain saint which spake, How long shall be the vision concerning the daily and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot? Verse 14. Verse 14, and he said unto me, unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Interesting. Now, this is a verse that we've all read many, many times, or some of us have read many, many times. And I promise you, brothers and sisters, when we're done with this text tonight, you would have not understood it the way we're about to understand it tonight. Okay? And it came to pass when I... when. And it came to pass when I, even Daniel, even I, Daniel, had seen the vision and sought for the meaning. Then behold, there stood before me as the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, which called and said, Gabriel. Now watch. Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. Make this man to understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid and fell upon my face. But he said unto me, Understand, O son of man, for the time of the end, for at the time of the end shall be the vision. Now, as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep upon my face toward the ground. But he touched me and set me upright. He said, Behold, I make thee to know what shall be in the last end of the indignation. For at the time appointed, the end shall be. Now, what we're going to do now, I'm going to share with you a document. All we've done is read. And let's just identify the simple things before, before we go into the document. Simple things we can identify. Number one, there's a ram. The ram comes from the east. It's raised up on one side. And it's moving quickly. 
There's a he-goat moving with anger, moving so fast that it's not even touching the ground. And this he-goat smashes into the ram and dominates the ram and stumps upon him. That's what we got. The little horn in the head of the ram, or the, the significant, the notable horn, I'm sorry, in the head of the ram is broken, and four horns come up in its place. Out of the four horns comes a little horn out of one of those four places. And that little horn makes war against people on earth and then ultimately fights against God because of transgression. That's what it said. And then it talks about the sanctuary and the host being trodden underfoot, being broken down, being fought against. That's what we see taking place in the passage. That's what we see. Now, let's see what Gabriel's interpretation is of the vision. Okay? And literally, while Daniel is seeing this vision, Daniel gets sick. Now tell me, why would he get sick again? Because remember Daniel 7, he got sick. Like he literally was like, oh, like something's going on in my being. Something's going on in my, in my person. So he literally gets sick. He's going down. <laughs> why is Daniel getting sick again? Okay, let's go to the document. Now the document, let me just make sure I can... I have so many open right now. Let me make sure it's the one I'm looking for. Yep, there it is. Okay, so let me share my screen with you. Let me pull up the document. Oh, that's my Daniel 11 document. We're not in Daniel 11 yet. That's coming. Let me see. I am looking for the document that says... Let me show you here. Here we go. All right. Can everybody see my, can you see my screen? If you can see my screen, just say yes. I can see your screen, Brother Waller, or just say yes. Just type in yes if you can see my screen. All right. Looks like I got a yes. Wonderful. All right, so you'll see here I have a comparison. You'll see Daniel 8, 3, and Daniel 8, 4 talks about a ram that had two horns. And Daniel 8, 20, the Bible literally says, The ram which thou sawest, having two horns, are the kings of Media and Persia. You see that? So Gabriel literally just tells you outright that this ram that has two horns, literally, the two horns are the kings of Media and Persia. So there's no question that this is a reality given by Gabriel. He's the best interpreter that, that we have. We know that Medo-Persia comes from the east, and it pushed westward, northward, and southward, and nobody could stand in the way of these kingdoms while they were taking over. All right, good. We looked at this he-goat. It comes from the west. In Daniel 8, 21, it says, And the rough goat is the king of Grecia, and the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. Now, word first is not, put, is not like one, two, three. It means primary, the most powerful, the most significant. That's what that word first means in this context. So we know that this goat is Greece. Everybody follow that? And there's a notable king in Greece. Who was the notable king? That's Alexander the Great. 
That's Alexander the Great. So what we have here is this great horn or this great he goat with a great horn between his eyes. This is the first king or the primary king. This king dominates. This is Gabriel saying this. Now, for a moment, historically speaking, Alexander the Great conquers the then known world by the age of 33 years old. And because Nebuchadnezzar, not Nebuchadnezzar, because Alexander the Great was so dominant, if you go back and look at the history, we're going to go to Daniel 11, we'll go into greater history, but, but Alexander the Great was not a moral person. Can I say that? He had several wives and boyfriends. And it's interesting, the historical, when I started going back over the history, Alexander the Great's boyfriend died. Within 30 days, he ends up drinking from the Herculean cup all this alcohol. And I personally believe that he was depressed because he loved his boyfriend more than he loved his wives, at least as I was reading. And he drank himself to death. He had some type of poisoning in alcohol, the amount of alcohol he drank, and he literally dies ne nearly 30 days after um, his last boyfriend died. Now, was, again, he was able to conquer the world, but he could not conquer his passions. He could not conquer his passions. And so this king becomes great and he dies. And when he dies, nobody in his his uh, lineage or of his loins is really ready to take over the kingdom. So there are four great generals that end up after this great fight, this years of fighting, fighting, fighting. And four generals stand up out of all the generals that wanted to take over. Four of them stand up. Cassander, Seleucus, Ptolemy, and Lysimachus. Those are the four generals. And we're, again, we're going to detail in the, about some of those wars and things. But those are the four that stand up out of the kingdom of Greece. And Grisha is that next kingdom. Okay, so that's Gabriel. He clearly interpreted that. But now let's look at a couple of things. Again, those of you who can see the screen, those of you who are listening, Use your spiritual vision to catch this. So in Daniel 8, verse 9, I will read in your hearing. In verse 9, it says, And out of one of them came forth a little horn, which waxed exceeding great toward the south and toward the east and toward the pleasant land. Now, I'm thinking I should actually pull up a map for you guys. Um, but for now, let's just use the words. So you'll see that it's it's the there's a another little horn. It waxes exceeding great, and it goes south, east, and towards the pleasant land. Now, if it's waxing, is it if it's growing from the south towards the east? If it if it dominates towards that direction, where is it coming from? Or it's coming from the northwest. That means there's a power, a physical power that comes from the northwest because it's fighting towards the north and towards the east and towards the pleasant land. I'll show you a map in a moment. Now, Daniel 8, Daniel 8, verse 23, it says, and in, the, and in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full. Now, what does that mean? The transgressors are come to the full. In other words, there is a power that's, there's, it comes to a place where their sin has reached unto the heights of thereof, thereof right? When the transgressors are come to a full, what happens? A king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand 
up. What do you mean a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences? What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, let's go for a moment. I'm just going to take you to a passage that kind of says something very similar. It's the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 1. Proverbs chapter 1. And we're looking at doo -doo -doo, verse number 5 and read 5 into 6, okay? Proverbs 1, verses 5 and 6. The Bible says, A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their, what's it say? Dark sayings. So what does that mean, dark sayings or dark sentences? It simply means that which is not easily understood, okay? And to understand dark sentences means that there's, there's a level of wisdom and craftiness and understanding. So it says a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. So there's someone, there's a power that's going to come to play that when it stands up, no other power is going to be able to stand in its place, okay? We compare this, Daniel 8.23, to Daniel 8.10, where it talks about, and it waxed great even to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the host and of the stars to the ground and stamped upon them. You guys see that? The stamping upon them? When the uh, ram stamped upon the he-goat, that means it was dominating, right? That means it was crushing out. It was destroying. It was dominant. Okay? That's what that meant. So when we're looking at after, after Medo-Persia, after Greece, who are the transgressors that come to a fall? Who are, who are they? Well, clearly, my friends, if we're just looking at the pattern of what we've studied before, historically speaking, the next kingdom that comes after Greece is the Roman, pagan Roman Empire. Follow that? The pagan Roman Empire. That's the next kingdom that comes after Greece. That's the one that dominates. Okay? Uh, let's see. So Rome, pagan Rome, is actually northwest of Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is the pleasant land or the pleasant. Let me see. Did I put those verses here? No, I did not. All right. In our next study, I'm going to bring all of those verses here so you can see them when we're talking about the pleasant land. Uh, it's definitely talking about Jerusalem, God's people. And when we're talking about, and just as another note, so you can have in your mind, when we're talking about north, south, east, and west, north, south, east, and west are directly related to as if Jerusalem is the center of God's world. <laughs> okay. Jerusalem in, in 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 the Bible times in the, in the people's minds, Jerusalem is the center of the universe. So north of Jerusalem, south of Jerusalem, east of Jerusalem, west of Jerusalem, that's where we get our north, south, east, and west in relation to what we're studying. So northwest of Jerusalem is where pagan Rome was. Okay. Northeast of Jerusalem was where. Babylon was. Persia comes from the east. 
same direction, okay? So when we're talking about north, south, east, and west, remember, Jerusalem is the center. Everything else is in relation to Jerusalem, okay? Just little little bits of cav little caveats here. Let's go a little bit further. I want you to notice. Let me see how far we're going to go into this. Uh, verse 24, it says, And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. Now what are we talking about? We've gone from pagan Rome to now papal Rome because we're talking about a church power and a state power depending upon each other. And this, his power, the state power, I'm sorry, the church power doesn't have any strength of itself. It is dependent upon civil authorities. And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully and shall prosper and practice. And then it says, and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. So in this context, the mighty and the holy people are the host. Verse 10, look at verse 10 again. Verse 10 again says, and it waxed great even to the host of heaven. And it cast down some of the host and of the stars to the ground and stamped upon them. Now, when it's talking about the host and the stars, again, I know some of us have been preconditioned to believe that the stars are angels. But remember, in Bible prophecy, context dictates interpretation. I'll say it again. When we're studying the Bible, Bible prophecy, context dictates interpretation. Do you remember? I hope I, you remember the story of Joseph. Everybody remember the story of Joseph? Joseph has a dream. Do you remember the dream? In the dream, when Joseph has the dream, his brothers are symbolized by the stars, and his mom and dad are symbolized as the sun and the moon. You remember that? His brothers are symbolized as the stars. So we're looking at leadership. We're looking at those who are in charge. Remember the in the in Revelation chapter 12, the woman has uh, 12 stars around her head. Those stars are not angels in that context. Those, those are the leadership. Those are the original leadership. Do you know Daniel chapter 12? Go to Daniel chapter 12 for a moment. Go to Daniel 12. Look at this. Daniel chapter 12. Hmm. Daniel chapter 12. And look at verse number 2. Okay? Daniel 12, verse 2 and 3. It says, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life and some to everlasting and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they that turn many to righteousness as the, what's it say? As the stars forever and ever. So notice stars are a symbol of leadership. Okay. Uh, even if you even if you were to use Revelation chapter one verse twenty, and it says stars equal angels, angels in that passage simply means messengers. These are the messengers to the churches. These were the spiritual leaders, if you will, of the churches. 
So the, the undergirding principle here is spiritual leadership. So in verse 10, where it says, and it waxed great, even to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the host and stars to the ground and stamped upon them. Take verse 10, compare it to verse 24, where it says, and his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully and shall prosper and practice and shall destroy, what's it say? The mighty and the holy people. So Gabriel himself identifies that these stars and hosts are the people of God. Everybody follow? If that makes sense, just type in yes. Does that make sense? Just type in yes. If it doesn't make sense, say, Brother Wallers, say it again. <laughs> All right. Praise God. We have a yes. We have a yes. Yes, 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 yes. Praise God. Good, 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 good. All right. So let's stay with me on this. So now verse 11 says something interesting in Daniel chapter 8. All right. Verse 11 says, yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host. So now you see a transition. Not only is this power, not only is this power seeking to persecute and prosecute God's people, he's now taking his attention and begin to focus on God himself. Okay? Not just deal dealing with the people, but now he's dealing with God himself. And what happens? Uh, in verse 11, it says, And by him the daily was taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Now, I'm not going to deal with that particularly at the moment. I'm going to pass that over. We'll come to that in a moment. But I want you to look at verse number 26 or 25. Still verse 25 of Daniel chapter 8, okay? Daniel twenty-five, Daniel 8.25, comparing with Daniel 8.11. It says, and through his policy, and through his policy also, shall he cause craft to prosper in his hand. And he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall destroy many. Look at this. And he shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken. How, my friends? Without hand. Well, that's powerful. Remember we read in Daniel chapter 2? This is where all the, the previous study starts to come in, right? We read in Daniel chapter 2 that there was a rock cut out of the mountain without hand. And it strikes the image at the feet. Again, looking at Daniel 8 verse 11, Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host. Some people, again, some people relegate Daniel 8.11 to a time when Jesus came on planet Earth and he died on Calvary. Some people identify that way. I'm not going to say they're wrong. I'm just going to say maybe there might be an additional concept that we can add here. When the passage talks about he shall stand up against the prince of princes in verse 25, but he shall be broken without hand. This is not referencing just that moment in time at Calvary. This is referencing the ultimate breaking of this power. Okay? This is referencing the ultimate breaking of this power that is anti-God, that stands 
in the place of God. <clears throat> Continue to read. It says, and the verse 26, and the vision of the evening and the morning, which was told is true. Therefore, wherefore, shut thou up the vision, for it shall be for many days. Okay. Now, I, on this paper here, I have us going into Daniel 9, but that won't be for a couple of days. So the vision is going to be for many days. When Daniel hears about this, I want you to see his visceral response. Because if you don't pay attention to Daniel's, Daniel's responses to what's transpiring, you may miss everything about this prophecy. Okay? So go back to Daniel chapter 8. Look at verse 26 and 27. Again, I read. And the vision of the evening and the morning which was told is true. Wherefore, shut thou up the vision, for it shall be for many, many days. Verse 27. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick certain days. Afterward, I rose up and did the king's business, and I was astonished at the vision, but none could or none understood it. Okay, okay, okay. Let's back up to what was clear, and then we'll get to the part that he did not understand. What is clear? We know that the ram is the Medes and the Persians. Daniel 8.3 is explained by Gabriel in Daniel 8.20. Clear. Okay. We know that the ego in Daniel 8.5 through 8.8 it is clearly Grisha in Daniel 8.21, because it clearly says the rough goat is the king of Grisha, right? So we know clearly Ram, Medo-Persia, he goat, Greece. That's clear. There's no question what that's talking about. Then we get to Daniel 8.9 and then 8.23, and watch, watch. We, we see this little horn wax exceeding great. And pushes towards the south and east and towards the pleasant land. We know that it's pagan Rome fighting against the people of God. It talks about in the latter times and the transgressors are come to a full. That means they've come to maturation and they're they are they are dominating. Verse. So we know that we know historically speaking, this is pagan Rome. But what is the issue? What is the issue that provokes Daniel to again become sick? Don't forget what we studied in Daniel chapter 7. Because whatever provoked Daniel to get sick in Daniel chapter 7 more than likely is causing the same issue in Daniel chapter 8. So before I even get to that, go back with me to Daniel 7 and we're reviewing, we're reviewing what made Daniel sick in Daniel 7. Because if you can see what made him sick in 7, you may be able to clearly see what made him sick in Daniel chapter 8. So in Daniel chapter 7, what made Daniel sick? What does he ask? Go back to Daniel 7. Look carefully. Look carefully at verse number mm, verse number 15. We're going to see the parallel of sickness. I don't know if anyone's ever done that before, show, showing the parallel of sickness of Daniel. Because if you can see the parallel of sickness of Daniel, then you can see the parallel of his concern. And if you can understand Daniel's concern in Daniel 7, and then you can see it in Daniel 8, 
Then you read about it clearly in Daniel 9, because that's tomorrow. That's the next time we study. That's not tomorrow. That's Wednesday. When you begin to see the parallel, then you'll see, oh, this is the cause of his concern. Then there should be usually the cure is in the cause. Normally, you can see the cause, then you can usually see the cure. So look at Daniel 7 again. Verse 15. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. Remember that? I came near to the one of them that stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made me know the interpretation of the things. Here's, here's the angel interpreting. These great beasts, which are four or four kings, which shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever. Even, for, even ever. Okay, we would, that would assume that that was the end of the explanation. But Daniel is not satisfied. What does Daniel focus on? He focuses on verse 19. He focuses on the fourth beast. What does it say? Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron and his nails of brass, which devoured, breaking pieces and stamped the residue with his feet. And of the ten horns that were upon his head and of the other which came up, before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth that speak very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. Until, until what? Until the ancient of days came, and the judgment was given to the saints in the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon, upon the earth, which, had which shall be diverse from all the kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. And the ten horns out of his kingdom are the ten kings that shall arise, and another shall rise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and shall subdue three kings. So now you see the interpreter is now going into the death, you know, the fourth kingdom, and he's he's actually breaking it down, right? Watch, watch, watch this. And he shall speak great words against the most high, and shall wear out the saints of the most high. And think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a what's it say? A time and times and the dividing of time. But the judgment shall sit, <laughs> and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. And the kingdom and dominion, the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the most high, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey him. Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations must trouble me, and my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. Wait. His cogitations troubled him. What's troubling him? What is the negative in that passage that's troubling him? The negative is that there's a power, this little horn power, that fights against the people of God, and they are given into his hand. Remember I told you to pay attention to that? They're given into his hand. How long? For a time, times, and dividing of time. Okay, let me let me come out of this part here. Let's do a little biblical mathematics. Hopefully you guys are thinking with me, okay? Hopefully you're thinking with me. So here this guy, Daniel, is like, hold up, wait a minute. This is Daniel 7. We're gonna I'm going to show you the parallel in Daniel 8 in a moment. So in Daniel 7, my man's going through it. He's like, wait. Time, times, and half a time? 
Like he, he literally is pausing in his brain because he knows, according to Jeremiah chapter 29, Jeremiah chapter 20, 25, God's people are literally supposed to be in captivity for 70 years. By the time he gets the vision in Daniel chapter 7, 70 years is almost done. Daniel 8, for sure, 70 years is about, be, about to be done. You'll notice in Daniel chapter 8, it makes no mention of Babylon. It makes no reference to Babylon because at this point, Babylon is not part of the, 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 the prophetic outline. But watch. Let me show you this. Let me take... Let me take, let me show you my little writing board. My writing board here. Let me see. All right. Bring up my board. Those of you who are listening, just listen carefully. All right. So here's here's the issue. So what we have. Oops, I'm doing it with my finger. Didn't mean to do that. So what we have here is Daniel the prophet. In Daniel chapter 7, he's concerned about the fourth beast. This fourth beast has ten horns. Out of the ten horns, one plucks, one another one comes up. Sorry, doing my strange things here. One comes up and plucks up three. One plucks up three. By roots. This one has the eyes of a man. Blasphemy. It speaks blasphemy. It prosecutes God's people for time. That's it. Okay. Here we go. Time. Times. And half time. Now, what I'm going to do, I'm going to tell you something that you don't have to believe, but you have to go study. Is that okay? A time is one year. Do you remember the story? We just we just went over it in Daniel chapter 4. In Daniel chapter 4, remember the king is, is literally turned into like an animal for like a whole year? Remember that story? And it says seven times was passed over him. What is that seven times? In your, in your margin of your Bible, seven times was seven years, okay? So a time is a year, and a Jewish year has 360 days. So time is 360 times is 720 because that's two, and half a time is 180. So again, time in a Jewish calendar year, it's 30, 30 days average in a month. There's 12 months in a year. There's 360 days in a year. Times, that would be two years. That's 720. Half time is 180. If you add 360 plus 720 plus 180, that equals 1,260 days. Now, in Bible prophecy, a day equals a year. And this is prophecy that we're dealing with. So 1,260 days equals 1,260 years. Okay? And we know that because Ezekiel 4, verse 6, Numbers chapter 14 and verse 34. And at another time, we'll use more verses like 
everything that I'm telling you is good to know, but you have like you need to own it. And the way to own it, of course, you know these two passages, but there are other passages that you can clearly show a day equals a year. And, you know, historically speaking and biblically speaking. Okay, why am I saying all this? Because this power would rule for 1,260 years. Now, what is Daniel thinking? Wait, I thought we were going to be in captivity for 70 years. Where does this 1,260 years comes from? You follow? Where this power persecutes and prosecutes the people of God. They're in, in the hand of the enemy for 1,260 years. Daniel's like, yo, this doesn't make any sense. I know for sure. I just read Jeremiah. <laughs> I just read Jeremiah 29. I remember, I just remember Jeremiah the prophet, because you know Jeremiah was a contemporary of Daniel. So he's like, I know Jeremiah told us it was 70 years that we're going to be in captivity. How in the world are you telling me now it's 1,260 years? He's grieved in his spirit. His cogitations are troubling him. This is all from Daniel 7. This is all from Daniel 7. Okay? Are you, are you following me, my friends? This is all from Daniel 7. So when I watch this. Now, let me come off, let me come off my screen here. Let's go back. Let's go back. And I will we'll come back to the board in a minute. But let me let me come off of this. And let's go back to Daniel 8. Remember, he's troubled. Like he's he literally faints in Daniel 8. Like he my man just falls out. Like boom. <laughs> like, yo, what did he just hear that just made him just go boom? Just, I'm out. He's knocked out. Because if you we because listen, my friends. And those of you who are studying with me, that means you're special people. If you're studying with me right now, you, you are special. Listen to me. If we don't understand what knocked Daniel out, we are literally going to go into this final crisis, not understanding what God is trying to tell his people for today. We quote verses. We don't understand them. Okay. So let's for a moment. Gabriel is teaching. He's walking us through. And Gabriel is walking through, and we already know, Medo-Persia, Greece, my man understands that. But what is bothering him? Go back. Let me, let me go back and share my document with you guys, because I want you to see that. Okay. What is bothering him? So we know, transgressions come to the full, Daniel 8, 9, uh, and Daniel 8, 23. We now see, we look at verse 10. The host of heaven and the stars are cast to the ground and they're stamped upon. They're being trampled upon. Gabriel interprets that and says in verse 8, and he shall destroy, uh, verse 24, Daniel 8, 24, and he shall destroy wonderfully and shall prosper and practice and destroy the mighty and holy people. Tell me something. Everything that we read before, I, I can't see Daniel really getting upset about. But now when he's talking about God's people, okay, he's you can see he's getting upset. Like, oh, oh, wait a second. God's people getting trampled upon? The prince, the prince, the, the prince of the host, he's making war. What is going on? Watch. 
Then it says, and I'm going to read verse 25 and continue. And through his policy, he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall destroy many. And brothers and sisters, that's happening right now, believe it or not. By peace, this, this, this Antichrist power is destroying many, making alliances with many, and it's being manifested in so many ways. But we're not dealing with that specifically right now, but we're dealing with Daniel's concern. It says, he shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hands. And the vision, and the vision of the evening and the morning, which was told is true, therefore shut up the vision, for it shall be for many days. Now, my friends, upon the completion of that sentence, Daniel faints. Look at, look at it. When he finishes that sentence in, in verse 26, and I, Daniel, fainted. He fell out. And when he woke up, he was sick for many days. Why? That's what it says, right? And uh, for certain days. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick certain days. Afterwards, afterwards, I rose up and did the king's business. And I was astonished at the vision, but none understood it. Wait a second. He's astonished at the vision? None understood it? Brothers and sisters, I'm going to share something with you. Go back to verse 14. You see verse 14? We're going to read verse Daniel 8, 13, and 14. Remember now, at the very end of it shall be for many days, Daniel faints. Daniel 8, 13. Then I heard one saint speaking to another, another saint. Said unto that certain saint which spake, how long shall be the vision concerning the daily and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the... Host to be trodden under foot. The sanctuary and the host. The sanctuary and the host to be trodden under foot. Tell me, if something's trodden under foot, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Good thing or a bad thing, my friend? Let's type it in. If the sanctuary is trodden under foot, is it good or bad? Let's type in good or bad. It's a bad thing. It's a bad thing. It's not a good thing. It's a bad thing. So think about Daniel's perspective. Daniel is in Babylon. <laughs> the 70 years are about to be finished. In Daniel chapter 7, he already got bad news. He still didn't understand what was going on. His cogitations much troubled him. He just heard for 1,260 years, God's people are going to be in the hand of the enemy. Now in this vision, he gets this news. And he said unto me, unto 2,000 in 300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. My man's like shook. He's, he, don't, he don't understand what's going on. He is confused. And if I, were, if I were him in that time with the knowledge that I had at that time, uh, I would be confused too. What do you mean 1,260 days? I know a day in Bible prophecy equals a year. You're saying 2,300 years? Then shall the sanctuary be clicked. Boom, fall asleep. He just, he's just out. He's, he's, my man's knocked out. He doesn't understand what is going on. So now just let me give you a little preview. Go to Daniel 9 for a moment. And you're going to see just a little bit of a preview of what we're going to study on, on Wednesday. Watch this. In Daniel 9. It says, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books 
My man said, I'm studying. I'm a prophet, but I study my books. I understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. You see it? My man said, I'm going, I'm studying this thing. I'm going through it. I'm I'm digging deeply. I understood by books. Why? He's troubled. Last thing he heard, 2,300 days, which is 2,300 years. And the time before that, I had another vision with 1,260 years. What is going on? And watch what happens. Verse 3. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him, to them that keep his commandments. Watch what he says in verse 5. We have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled, even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. I must stop there. That's a preview. What, what is Daniel doing? Daniel's heard the previous visions, and he's seen the people of God trodden underfoot, persecuted and prosecuted. He's seen the sanctuary of God under duress, and he's like, Lord, have mercy on us. I know we sinned. I know we broke your law. Please have mercy. That's what he's begging. Lord, have mercy. We, we don't want to be in captivity that much longer. Hmm. I'm curious. I'm curious if we would respond to say, you know, there's a passage when you study the deliverance of Israel, particularly when the king let Israel go to, to, uh, to go rebuild Jerusalem. And many of God's people did not want to go to rebuild because they were comfortable in captivity. I wonder if we're the same. I wonder if we're comfortable in captivity. Daniel wasn't. And listen, Daniel was the highest, like he was like top dog in all. <laughs> in, in Babylon, he was top. In Medo-Persia, he was top. He's top in all these places. And he's not comfortable. He's not satisfied while Jerusalem is in defilement. While the temple is cast down. While the people of God are in captivity, he's not. He's not comfortable. Are you comfortable here? Has this world become a, a place that you just you know you got to fulfill all your dreams? Like you, you mean I gotta I gotta get all my I gotta make my money. You know I gotta have grandchildren. I gotta have kids. I haven't hit my financial status in the world. You know what I mean? Like. Are you comfortable? Because if we're not comfortable, I believe that we're going to have to end up praying a prayer similar similar to Daniel's. We have sinned. Not they have sinned. Not the church is in apostasy. We are in apostasy. We have sinned. We have done wrong. It's me, it's me, oh Lord. Standing in the need of prayer. Not the preacher or the deacon, but it's me, oh Lord. Save us, Father. 
Not say save them. No, no, no. Save us. Daniel did nothing wrong. Not recorded, at least. And he includes himself. And we look at these succession of kingdoms, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and in Daniel 8, uniquely using sanctuary language. And again, we're going to break this down. I'm just giving the piece. I'm giving it in pieces because if I give it all at once, I think it would be overwhelming. But giving it in pieces. And in the succession of these kingdoms, ultimately, what is God seeking to do? He's trying to establish his kingdom via his people. His people are in captivity. His people need deliverance. And we all, brothers and sisters, at some point in our experience, have been captive to sin. And God wants to save us from our sins. Will you let him do that? You know, there's a prayer that I say most often, and I know you've heard me say it even on this podcast. Father, take my heart, for I cannot give it as your property. Keep it, for I cannot keep it for thee. Save me from myself, my weak, unchristlike self. And raise me into a pure and holy atmosphere where the rich currents of your love may flow through my soul. The enemy can only do so much. There are rules to spiritual engagement. The enemy can only have us in his hand until we learn our lesson. And it's interesting. God allows him to do it, and he says, this far, no further. And when he plucks us out, my friend, we're, we're, we're fine, and we're, we know not to mess with that thing again. <laughs> Sometimes instead of spanking our hands, we put our hands to the stove. God lets us touch the stove. So we can say, hey, you know what? Stove is not what it cracked up to be. I'm going to leave it alone. My friends, hopefully you understood what we studied tonight. Again, we're just laying, laying a foundation. We're just building slowly but surely. On, on Wednesday, when we continue our, our prophetic study, we are going to, I'm going to have documents ready for you. So there's going to be, I think I'm going to have about four or five documents for you. So be ready to receive those. Um, if you're listening on podcasts and you're not in the Zoom platform, please if I have your email, I, know, I see Drew is listening. So, Drew, I got you, man. So, I'll send you the documents. Um, but if you're listening to this podcast, I would like you, if you, if I don't have your email address, to email me at Andre at the T H E Tacoa, T T E K O A dot org. So, Andre at the Tacoa dot org. Those of you who are listening at, through Zoom right now, you know, I got you. So on Wednesday, right before our study, I'm going to send you those documents and we're just going to keep we're just going to keep laying it, man. We're just going to keep digging and digging and digging. Those of you who have been through the study know that every podcast that or every recording is on the podcast. Go back and re-listen to Daniel one, Daniel two, Daniel three, Daniel four, Daniel five, Daniel six, Daniel seven. We did two parts of Daniel seven and then, we, and then you know, there's more. So did Daniel eight tonight. We're going to do a little bit more of Daniel eight. And go into Daniel 9. So it's going to be quite a bit. But I believe that you are 
ready and willing just to dig, brothers and sisters. That's where I'm at. Like when I get off of here, even though I'm done studying with you, <laughs> I want to go hug my family and then I'm going to keep digging. OK, because it's time for us to really understand not just intellectually, but spiritually uh, to make sure that we are walking and we're anchored in the truth so that there's nothing that the enemy can do. Nothing that the enemy can do to cause us to fall away from him. And then we turn into those intercessors, right, Sister Yvette? That we turn into those intercessors for those who do not know. Yes, there is Bible study tomorrow night. Um, yes. So don't miss tomorrow night. We're, we're going through the book Education and the Bible. So you don't want to miss that tomorrow night. We're still doing that. But the prophetic study is on Wednesday. Uh, tomorrow night is the book Education and the Bible. You don't want to miss that. That's been profound in and of itself. And then on uh, Tuesday night, we're dealing with relationships. Uh, so thank you so much. Are there any questions for this evening? I'll take about one or two of them. Any questions for what we gather this evening? Any questions? All right. Give me a few more seconds. All right, my friends, if there are no questions, please join me tomorrow night. Invite others to join as well. And um, you guys have a wonderful evening. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your grace and mercy and for the opportunity that we've had to study our Bibles. We pray now, Father, for the gift of the Holy Spirit that you would write your laws in our hearts, that we will love what you love and hate what you hate. And Father, give us clarity of thought and feeling that our thoughts and feeling reflect your own. We do love you, Father, but as I pray, I pray often, I'll pray it again. Teach us to love you more than anything else in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name and claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. Amen. Good night. God bless you.